Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was the sound of Robert Glasper and I Stand Alone. I hope you enjoyed it. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. I'm extraordinarily pleased to say that my business shaper today is none other than Mr Harvey Goldsmith, impresario-in-chief, one of the most important people in the music and entertainment business in the last 30 or 40 years, and he's here with me, and you're going to hear a lot from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from Harvey, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Cannibal Adderley, the late B.B. King and this from Van Morrison. That was the famous Van Morrison with someone like you and one of the people that Harvey Goldsmith has managed. Harvey is my business shaper today. Um, and for those of you in the know, he needs no introduction. But for those of you that don't know, he has been at the top of the music business and the entertainment business for around 40 years. Way back in 1966, he opened Club 66. And uh, and then post that, around the 70s, he formed the Artist Management Production Company and then a company called Harvey Goldsmith Entertainments. He's put on the garden parties at the Crystal Palace Bowl. He's brought Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison and so many others. We could spend 45 minutes to an hour just telling you the phenomenal list of people. It never does justice to the work that he is doing. Thank you so much for joining me. Very pleased to be here. Now... You may not have ended up doing anything like this, Harvey. Just tell me a little bit about how you ended up in this crazy business that you love. Um, Like most people in the entertainment business, by pure accident. Um, My whole life has been about luck and timing, and um, I was destined to be a pharmacist and applied for a course that uh, six weeks after I went to university was stopped. And so I was in a bit of a limbo and very angry. And um, I went to a, um, a student union meeting um, down at Sussex at the College of Technology and was listening to all the stuff they were talking about. And I said, where's the social life? And they didn't know who I was because there's no reason why they should. And they asked me who I was. I said I was from pharmacy. And they said, we never see pharmacy reps at student union meetings they're always too busy what is it you want to do and I said I think we should open a club and they said all right clever dick open a club it was as simple as that I said okay I will so I opened a club in January 1966 called Club 66 
And by the end of my first year at university, doing a course I didn't want to do because I had to re-register for another course, an external London course, which I didn't, really wasn't interested in, I found myself on the finance committee of the university because they were bringing so much money in. And the club was for students. And I, it was just lucky. I mean, it was a, that period, the mid-60s to the early 70s, is probably the most creative period we've seen in any of our lifetimes, both in music, uh, change of attitudes, in art, literature, painting, sculptors, fashion, style. Everything changed during that period. And I just went along with the wave, really, and was just really lucky to have met so many of the great musicians in their early stages, their early formative stages, and um, worked with them, and now, then continued onwards. Now, before that point, you got to university, you said, on, you went to the meeting, you put your hand up, you said, let's open a club, and they let you, and then the rest is kind of history. In your childhood, though, were you exposed to art and culture and music and all the other things you just referenced? Yeah, we had a lot of music at home. Um, kind of parts of my family were used to playing. I had a an uncle that played in a band called the Six Swingers in the 40s. I had um, uh, another uncle who's a guitarist. My brother played clarinet badly. We used to listen to jazz a lot at home. And... Um, and then another part of my family were all into opera. And uh, uh, an uncle, a great uncle by marriage, was a very famous conductor called Yasha Horenstein, who um, was the world's leading exponent on Brooklyn, Brooklyn and Mahler. And he was the guest conductor of the LSO and the Chicago Symphony and whatever. And um, later on in my career... We used to swap war stories, so he would drag me along to some dreadful Polish chamber music concert, and in return, I would bring him to see the Pink Floyd, which he absolutely adored. So it was a it was an interesting upbringing in the blood, as they say. Stay with me for much more from my business shape today, the impresario Harvey Goldsmith. Time for some new music. This is from the eleven-year-old sensation who recently signed a deal with Harlem's Motema Records. It's Joey Alexander with "I Mean You." How extraordinary is having an 11-year-old kid playing, in essence, Thelonious Monk. Fantastic. Isn't that good? And from, from Van Morrison, one of yours, to some new talent. I mean, that's the thing. I'm with, I'm with Harvey Goldsmith, if you didn't catch it earlier. The impresario, the world of music, the world of entertainment. Many, many famous bands have been brought to this country and moved around it because of this man here. And the fact that you, you mention it and you talk about the music is, and, and you talk about your past... You've got a massively good ear. I mean, people say of you that you have taste. And I remember interviewing John Hegarty, Sir John Hegarty of BBH. He said, you can't teach taste. You can do lots of other stuff, you can't teach taste. Is that right. true? Yes. I've always had um, an eye for talent, an ear for music, and a head for organisation. And that's what's got me through to where I am today. And I still get excited about watching new talent and... Um, 
if I can, trying to guide them along. Now, you've talked about your eye, your ear and your head. There's another part which you haven't mentioned to me, which is you in Yiddish, it would be chutzpah. It would be the courage to go, I'm going to put skin in the game, money on the table because I believe in myself. What about that bit? Because that's a really important part of your success story, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean... The role of a promoter, besides running a 24-hour wet nappy service, um, <laughs> is basically that you're betting on the 3.30 every day of the week. So you're sticking your money down in the belief that not only you, but other people uh, will enjoy and pay to see great talent. And it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with the Rolling Stones or the Who or you know Michael Jackson or Prince – it's still a bet. It's still a risk. Until that curtain goes up, you don't know whether you've mitigated your risk or not. So it, it really is a gambling business. It's a gambling business, but you've made not a science of it, but you've had pretty good years, sustainably good years. So, you know, putting down a million quid on the table, as you would call it, and a bet for Bob Dylan, for example... Is it really a bet? Because, as you said, if you've got that eye and that ear and well, that... of I course, mean, from my perspective, I hope it isn't a bet. But in truth, you are. I mean, you, you, you're, you're taking huge risks. And the bigger the show, the bigger the risk. Um, and, and why have you got an appetite for risk, Harvey? Have you always had one? Or have you developed it well, as you've got I, more confident? I suppose I have a different attitude, really. I'm not a gambler, funnily enough, at all. And uh, I don't like taking risks. So my view is that if I see, hear and like talent, I believe that I, I'm here to give the opportunity for other people to enjoy it as much as I do. And so my feeling is that if I get all the elements right, uh, people will come and see it. And then it's the choice of that talent. So I don't. Really, I mean, I know in the back of my head that I'm gambling every day and I'm taking huge risks on large amounts of money. Uh, but in truth, what I'm trying to do is say this talent needs to be seen. It's fantastic. And millions of other people hopefully will share my view. And it's only a question of how you present it and where you present it and when. And luck and timing kind of pervade through my life. You mentioned the wet nappy service, and I, there's a story apparently about Alice Cooper's snake and finding the hotel room for the snake. Is this true? You did that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, All of those so, are so true. You, you go from the crazy <laughs> stories which you hear, and I remember interviewing Chris Wright, and he had a couple himself from Chrysalis. The other side of it, though, is that what drives you, this sense that I want to bring these brilliant people to a mass audience? Is that is that the thing, beyond the money? Is the money well, it just doesn't a have function? to be to a mass audience. Or, any just, or the audience. That, I just... That, I, I, I love music. I've loved music all my life. I... I think it has an emotional drive that no other facet of culture can give. And I think that if you if you find great talent, which is rare, I mean, there's thousands of acts and wannabes and whatever out there, but if you find great talent and you can present it well, um, other people want to share in it. People... You know, there's always this ongoing talk that uh, people don't want to go out and they're sitting on their computer and they're on their social media and Twitter and Facebook and blah, 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 blah. People do want to go out and they want to share experiences with other people. And so, uh, and when they do, it is that that um, emotion level pervades through an audience. And not only does it work for the audience, but there's a bounce back between... 
um, the artist on stage, uh, their job is how do they get over that barrier, which is the line at the end of the stage into the audience. And if it, it and and the magic is when the audience feed back the emotion that the artist is giving over on the stage to them, and they feed it back to the artist, the artist plays better. Stay with me for more insights and hopefully some emotional bounce back as well with my business shaper today, the impresario Harvey Goldsmith. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of wisdom for your business from our program partners at Mishkondorea. I'm Emma Walcott. I'm an associate in the reputation protection team at Mishkondorea, part of the private uh, department. Businesses of all sizes need to be very careful about how they and their employees engage on social media. We advise all businesses to have a robust social media policy so that staff are aware what they can and cannot say on social media, either for business use or in their own time. Staff need to be well aware that what they say on social media, um, even on the weekends and in their own name, can have a very um, severe adverse impact on the business's brand and that may have um, ramifications for their employment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning. Join me here on Jazz FM, talking to um, someone in the world of business, somebody shaping the world of business, all sorts of industries, all sorts of people, all sorts of shapes, colours and sizes. You can join them right here with me. If you've missed any, go and catch up uh, at the Jazz FM app or any other place, including iTunes, BA High Life if you're flying, CTM and even FT.com. We've got you covered, I hope. Today, my business shaper is Harvey Goldsmith. He's the impresario who's been inventing and reinventing entertainment and music in this country, and um, his impact is also felt beyond these fair shores. He's a CBE uh, back in 96. Chevalier des Arts et Lettres from the French, no less, which is a pretty good honour, isn't it? Not bad. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) the Diamond Award in 2012 for contributions to the arts. Um, He's a doctorate, honorary doctorate of arts from the University of Brighton. It's extraordinary. He's properly... um, one of the leaders in this part of the world of entertainment. All these accolades, I'll just reel them out there for a second, do they have any kind of impact on you at all? Does it matter for someone like you? Um, does it change what I have for breakfast? No. Um, do I get upgrades in hotels when I go to America? Yes, love it. Um, it's good for the family. I mean, you know... I. When I got my CBE, um, it was a complete surprise. And, of course, my mum, my dear mum and um, my dad, uh, they loved it. They could they could never work out what I did anyway. So this was the icing on the cake. <laughs> of course, it, it it's nice to be um, accepted by your peers. And it's, it, it, it's always good. Uh, but, I mean... Do I wake up in the morning going, oh, my God, I'm not a baron yet? No. <laughs> um, but if you're listening... Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that... that pro- you, you obviously have... Look, it's it's good. You, recognition is nice. As you said, acceptance in a way is nice. It, what would you... Do you think everyone that's worked with you over the years... You talked about organisation, and you obviously are an organiser par excellence. What would your teams of people, and you still work with teams of people, what would they say about Harvey as a, as a boss? Um... Well, put it this way, none of them leave. So if that's good, <laughs> maybe that's the answer. I have the best team in the world. I have the best production team. I have the best um, marketing and management team. Um, and without them, I couldn't do it. 
and I rely on them, and we work very well together. And I, I, I'm an open book. Um, I don't suffer fools very well, uh, but I have trained and worked with so many people in the business, um, and I, I'm quite proud of that, really. I mean, everywhere I go, there's somebody that I've has worked for me at some point that I bump into, and they're all doing good, and I'm pleased for them. And it's really important. You you know, you, you, you see a name above the title, but that's kind of for legal reasons, because if anything goes wrong, the public want to know who do they beat up, and so do the press. But, but behind that name is the team, and that team is vital. You've got to have good people working with you, or else you couldn't do it. Stay with me for more from my business show today, Harvey Goldsmith. Time for some music. This is the legend who just recently passed away. It's BB King with Better Not Look Down. B.B. King, he was an extraordinary character, and I last worked with him, um, strangely enough, at a gig at the White House. <laughs> and um, I was uh, managing Van Morrison at the time, it's about uh, two and a half years ago, and uh, we were doing a, an event to kind of mark the history of the blues, and B.B. was there, and B.B. had a club and we, you know, we, he was a great... There was mutual admiration society between uh, Jeff Beck and, and, and B.B. He was a wonderful guy. Now, Harvey, you, you, you've worked with all these people. Um, you obviously got over being starstruck many years ago. Yeah. Managing talent on that level where you are working with proper genius rather than people seeing people throw around the word yeah. genius a lot. How do you do it? How have you done it so effectively? I hate it, is the answer. <laughs> I never wanted to be in management. I felt it was terribly time-consuming, and it's a marriage. It's a tough marriage. But somehow the other people got to me, so um, some of it was huge fun. I mean, I, I managed Billy Connolly for 10 years and then um, um, built in the 70s. Bill Wyman phoned me up one day, and he said, Van Morrison wants to meet you. And I said, where, when, how, I'm, you know like I'm going to meet him so we talked he was looking for a manager so I came down with a list of potential managers and managers are quite important in an artist's life and uh, we talked and he thought about it and he said can we meet again and I said yes and we met about four days later and he said I thought about it I want you to manage me and I said well I don't really do management and he said yeah yeah he said you can he said if you manage me and then manage another band like Black Sabbath because I see you don't work enough and he said well if you manage about another band like Black Sabbath who I promoted um, that would be a great combination and then and you could pack up promoting and I said no I don't want to do that anyway I looked after Van and Van was going to come over and live in England and then for various reasons he decided he didn't want to so he moved back to California and I was commuting backwards and forwards for three weeks because he was he was putting his life back together at the time. And we we he did an album called Period of Transition, which is the first record that we did together, which is exactly what it was. It was him coming back into the world, and he needed um, a lot of encouragement and nurturing and so on. And I just couldn't take all that travel. It was a nightmare. 
So um, we had a long chat and we had a bit of a row. And, I, and when we agreed, when I agreed to take on his management, I said, "Look, I'm fine with it, but I just want to make sure that if it comes to a point where it doesn't work, we're not going to fall out. We just have agreed how it will work, which we did." And I said to Van, "I can't do this anymore. You want to live in LA? That's fine." Um, too long distance at the time. I mean, this was before the current communication opportunities. Mm. And um, I uh, I phoned up um, an associate of mine, Bill Graham, who's a very famous American promoter, and I said, Bill, I need to find a manager for Van locally. And we did. And um, I said to Van, uh, you know, you're much better off. You need someone on the spot and where you are. And so we parted company. And then... There were various other artists that I got involved with over the years. And then um, I was in New York and I got a phone call to say, Jeff Beck wants to meet you. And Jeff Beck was another hero, a real hero. You know, he was, as much as Van was a hero in, in his voice and his song and his interpretation, um, Jeff, with his guitar, was the voice of a guitar. I mean, without, I've worked with all of them and without a shadow of a doubt, he is numero uno by a mile. And um, I was quite intrigued. And Jeff said that I've been floundering around and I'm, I'm, I'm not being recognised. I know what I do. I said, well, if you want to do it, I'll help you. And with these big acts, I mean, I worked with Mick Jagger on his solo career. I worked with Roger Waters when he left the Pink Floyd. They're not easy. <laughs> but you have to interpret what they want and try and uh, give them the equipment as I call it the toolkit to to do whatever they want to do at that period of time but my love really my life is about promoting and producing I enjoy doing that and you've got the freedom to do it and I enjoy doing lots of projects at the same time we're going to come to that in a little bit final chat coming up with my business shaper and fantastic guest a Harvey Goldsmith plus we're going to play a track from Abby Lincoln that's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Dream of a land my soul is from I hear a hand stroke on a drum Shades of delight, cocoa hue Rich as the night, Afro blue. The exquisite sound of Abby Lincoln with Afro blue. Just for a few more very precious minutes, Harvey Goldsmith is my business shaper, impresario in chief, um, one of the big names um, and the driving forces in the entertainment world over the last 40 years, probably about four, four decades, not three decades, we'll just keep adding on decades, Harvey, even though he only looks about 20. Harvey, um, you mentioned there the incredible array of people, I mean, the, the biggest names in the music industry. I'm just going to pin you down. I want a couple of words, and I know you said you're more of a promoter than a manager and a, and a producer, and you absolutely are, but they kept asking you to do it, and you're obviously pretty good at it. If there were two adjectives they, they would choose, any of those people, as to why Harvey Goldsmith was a good manager, despite you saying you hated it, what would they see? What, what would they say? What would be those adjectives? How would they describe you? I, I suppose um, understanding what they want and be, being able to deliver it, I think that's the key. And, um, and knowing how far to go with an artist, because 
You mean in terms of talking to them or in terms of both in talking to them and both pushing them out how far as far they as they can go. go. And and they have to have the desire to want to do it, otherwise I can't do my job. You you said you're an open book. Are you do you believe in the, the thing that you should really square with someone and say what you think or yes. is there a hierarchy? You know yes. if there's I'm a the young, only one that tells artists what it really No, really, don't and it's terrible. They love it, don't I they? I mean I <laughs> Do they love it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've been known to go to artists and say it was the worst show I've ever seen you do and then they look at you and go, Yeah, well you know, they make you Artists are surrounded by yes men, surrounded by them. In all of that time, you've also done a lot for charity. You're incredibly philanthropic. What drives that in you? Because I've spent my whole life taking out of a business and it's just as easy to put something back. And I think it's kind of incumbent that if you can, to put something back to society. Why not? How difficult is it? I mean, they're difficult projects. I mean, when we did Live Aid... We were just delving into the unknown. Um, and um, when we did Live 8, 20 years, 25 years later, it was a little bit easier, but still difficult. Was that something that occurred to you as you, as you became more successful? Or was that, was that something drummed into you as a kid that you should give oh, something back? It was definitely back? drummed into me as a kid. I mean, my, my upbringing was that, you know, you, you have to put back what you take out. And if you can, why not? And I and I keep saying why not because it's really easy to do it. It's a bit of extra time and effort. But I've been lucky enough again to have helped shape some of the biggest causes in the world. I mean, I suppose in my life I must have raised over three hundred million pounds, something like that. It's not incredible. Much. Not much. Not and bad. Continue to do it. Better than a chunk of change. And then we have another event this year that we, you know, we continue. So yeah. this year we're focusing on climate change, which I'm a huge believer in. So we're doing a big event in Paris, September. It's it's critical and it's brilliant that you are doing that because I know that then it will be successful and raise awareness even more than money because it's actually about yeah. people changing their minds and changing behaviours and governments too. Um, there's not enough time to go into the fact you're producing The Hunger Games. That's going to be coming out next year. My son is already grateful. He doesn't even know you're doing it, but he well, will we're do going, it. We're go, we're go, oh, I love doing different projects. I, very quickly, I'm working with a Dutch uh, theatrical company called Imagination And within that, the creative producer has come up with a really unusual way of presenting theatre. And because of that, it doesn't fit into a standard proscenium arts theatre. So we have to build theatres to produce the projects. So we have two shows in in Holland at the moment. Uh, One I've just come back from yesterday is uh, The Diary of Anne Frank, which is a year old. And um, uh, we're going to build a brand new theatre at Wembley because finding space in the West End is difficult. But at Wembley, there's so much more opportunity with communications, travel, stations, whatever, and you can park right outside the front door. Um, so we have to build theatres to fit our productions, and we're going to open next year with the Hunger Games. Which well, we'll is, be there. I'm getting. I'm going to have to find some way of getting tickets. It's pretty hopefully. wild. I hope I know someone who can help me with that. Um, <laughs> listen, just before I let you go, thank you so much for being my business shaper. Fascinating and incredibly impressive, and you're a, a humble man too, which is always nice to see. And you're a person that gives back. Um, what's your song choice, and why have you chosen it? Um, I suppose my ultimate jazz hero uh, was Miles Davis. And I had the privilege of working with him and I took it around Europe um, some years ago. And then I went over and um, helped him with his 30th anniversary concert at uh, Radio City. 
Um, he was an extraordinary person, probably the most difficult artist I've ever worked with in my life, who actually, the first day I ever met him, threatened to kill me. But other than that, life was good. Um, and um, musically, he changed the face of music generally. Um, the phases of, of, of uh, composition that he's presented to the world. And when he, he showed the way using an electric band as well in jazz and if you take it right through his history his influence really is kind of where music is today and here it is it's so what so what from miles davis thank you so much here it is That was So What from Miles Davis, just one of the many acts that Harvey Goldsmith has been associated with, managed or promoted. What a man. Iconic in the world of music and entertainment. Uh, Unbelievable. Touched every part of the business and been incredibly successful. Given over £300 million, the man behind Live Aid amongst the, the team that produced it. And he's continued to do extraordinary things, the climate change stuff, as well as producing the Hunger Games next year. Real shaper from the world of the entertainment business. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the programme. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am here on Jazz FM. In the meantime, stay with us because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams.